You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lalan. I'm joined by Vahan Ajamian, who's the Managing Director of Analyst Relations at MedMen. Vaughn, thanks a lot for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So maybe before we get started, you and I have known each other for, for a couple of years now, but maybe before we get started, you can give everyone a really quick um, introduction or overview uh, to MedMen. Sure. So MedMen is the leading cannabis retailer in the United States. Uh, we currently have uh, licenses for uh, 87 stores across the U.S., across 12 states, uh, with uh, 37 of them operational today under the MedMen banner and uh, acquisitions that we uh, have already announced. Um, so we are headquartered in California. Uh, last quarter, we reported about $37 million uh, U.S. Uh, of revenue, um, and on a pro forma basis, it was more like $56 million. So this is already, you know, over a $230 million business uh, in cannabis today. Great. So you and I know each other um, from your previous life as an analyst when you were covering uh, public cannabis companies. How have you really seen the industry and the landscape kind of change over time, um, specifically for the Canadian companies? Sure. Well, so the Canadian companies are obviously the first crop of, of companies to go uh, to go public. Um, so back in you know in, in the initial days, it was all about you know how many square feet you had and grams per square foot and price per gram. Um, and now you know as, as things have changed over the last couple of years, now it's not only the Canadian LPs that people have. Uh, the opportunity to invest in. Um, so I think even if you look at the uh, you know the Canadian market, um, we've had legalization here in Canada for almost a year now. Um, although there will be one more you know, shoot a drop come December when we start having legal vape pens and edibles, um, I think people are starting to understand from both a investor perspective and even from the LP perspective um, that the U.S. is the real market. Uh, right, so it's about an $80 billion forecast market um, in the United States, and a lot of the, the Canadian companies themselves are looking for ways to get in. Um, initially, it was you know, companies somewhat associated or affiliated with large LPs like Terrasand, like Australis, trying to find a way to get you know, to tap into that large U.S. cannabis industry. Obviously, the, the transformational canopy acreage deal, uh, and, and even the other companies in Canada that are looking to hemp as a way, since the Farm Bill passed last year, as a way to get in exposure to some part of the U.S. market. So let's let's talk a little more about the U.S. since that's the focus of this podcast. Um, we obviously have a number of states that are as legalized from a rec use. Uh, what aspects of the industry are you seeing kind of the most demand for uh, in the U.S. right now? Again, I'd say that there has been a shift over time, whereas in the beginning – all people had as a point of reference from an investor perspective was cultivation because in Canada it was all about, as I was saying, you know, number of square feet, grams per square foot, dollars per gram. I think people now are slowly coming to the realization that retail is the most important aspect of the industry um, rather than just cultivation. And so as for us, retail is the, is the focus of everything we do. Uh, we think retail is the most important part of the value chain because that's where you have limited licenses. So if you only have six in a city or ten in a state, then that's a very defensible moat there. And the second level of defensibility is the zoning restrictions. 
So if you can't be within 700 feet from school, church, park, library, and very importantly, other dispensary, that's where you get that permanent advantage on the retail side. Um, as well as being in retail, you get the end touch point with the consumer, which you don't necessarily get if you're a grower or a distributor. So as you know, we have uh, we actually launched the first marijuana U.S. marijuana ETF uh, in the world, uh, and it's utilizing active management. One of the things when we're talking to advisors quite often is there's obviously a lot of confusion around all of the policies uh, that exist out there um, in terms of the in terms of legal rules in the U.S. Can you simplify it a little bit uh, for everyone? Like, what is the most important? Because we've got the Farm Act, the States Act, the FAIR Act. There's so many different aspects in there, but can you kind of summarize it so that it, it kind of sheds a light on it for, for the listeners? Sure. So, I mean, unfortunately, the way, the way to summarize it would be to say that there is no such thing as the V1 U.S. cannabis market. And unfortunately, it's completely state-run, so it's effectively 50 different markets, some of which are effectively inactive, as well as the federal overlay on top. Now, from a state-specific point of view, they really are all different. I mean, for example, in California, um, you don't have to be vertically integrated, whereas in other states like Florida, you have to be vertically integrated. Um, so, you know, there, there unfortunately isn't a one-size-fits-all uh, model as to what's happening in the U.S., and especially when you drill down sometimes within the states. So, for example, in New York and Florida, you have 10 licenses, for example, in New York, um, and Florida also has a limited number of state licenses that allow you to operate throughout the state. Whereas, say, in California, you have to be blessed by the state, but first you have to be approved by the local municipality. So certain municipalities can decide, well, we'll only allow six stores in our facility, or you know, we will we'll only allow grows of this type of size. Or you know, so it, it becomes it becomes a bit of a, a hodgepodge to say you know, what's happening in California has no, nothing to do necessarily with what's happening in Florida or Massachusetts. And then obviously to your point, there are lots of federal issues right now with the States Act, which would uh, you know, entrench in law the rights of states to legalize adult use or medical use cannabis, um, or the Safe Act, which will allow access to greater banking to be able to bank the industry as normal. Um, so we, we see those as, as definitely catalysts for our business going forward, um, in, both in terms of the operations of the business themselves, but also in terms of you know the stock price and able to get ability to get more sell side research and more in, larger institutional buy side accounts coming in and buying the stock. So I think you will probably see the sell side and the buy side kind of move lockstep. Uh, together over, over time, likely with some you know, federal um, you know, developments uh, in, in the next 12 months or so. So, first of all, do you think in the next 12 months that, uh, that we will have it legal from a U.S. federal perspective? And second of all, um, if we don't, how, how uh, challenging does that become for the U.S. marijuana sector? Well, I think it's really encouraging to see so many candidates on both sides, you know, the Republicans and, and Democrats that, you know, have said they're in favor of, of, le of full legalization. Um, and I think especially, you know, 12 months from now as we head, you know, ahead of the election, um, there'll be a good momentum to get, you know, something passed, whether it's the States Act or the SAFE Act or, um, you know, something along those lines from, from Washington. I think one, one of the things from the Farm Bill proved is that, you know, Congress can get their act together in this overall, you know, sphere. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think the people have spoken, right? Two-thirds of Americans want access to legal cannabis, and it's now a, it's a nonpartisan issue. You have, uh, you have majorities from both the Republicans and the Democrats um, who, for, you know, for their own reasons, um, are very supportive of, of legal cannabis. Uh, and now, especially with Illinois, the governor having signed the, the bill, we now have 11 states uh, that have gone adult use. So, you know, I think it's a matter of time. It's always tough to say on which day which bill will pass. But, um, you know, legalization, you know, is definitely the way that things are blowing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's important for investors to remember, you know, if 12 months from now we haven't had huge milestones yet, I mean, this you know, legalization is a process, not an event, especially in the U.S., as I said, where unlike Canada, you had one day where everything turned on. In the U.S., you have 50 different states, and, you know, where Nevada went live, and then California went live six months later. Now we're, gonna, we're seeing Michigan go live in about six months, Illinois go live in about six months. Um, you know, you'll see the dominoes start to fall uh, and create catalysts for the U.S. companies uh, over time. So are you one of the proponents that believes that, you know, the U.S. cannabis space is kind of where Canada was two, three years ago, but obviously with exponentially more potential? I'm, I'm definitely of that view. I think, you know, when I first started covering the Canadian names, um, you know, this was back in you know, early 2016, I was doing work in Seahole. Wait a minute, the, you know, the, the majority federal government has the task force to decide not if we should legalize marijuana, but how we should legalize marijuana. And, you could, and at the time, there were only, say, 35 licensed producers. Now it's, you know, I believe, over 150. And you could kind of you know, see the dots there to be connected and saying, wait a minute, your market cap is what? And you're one of those 35? And I think now we're in a similar situation in the United States where you, know, you have a majority of Americans, a majority of Republicans and Democrats. You're starting to get the, the, the candidates saying the right things. You already have 11 states that are live. Um, but, you know, the stock prices haven't exploded to the upside the way we really saw in Canada in the last couple of years. So, again, I think it's a, it's a situation where we're in that sweet spot where all the dots are there to be connected. You know, the governor of New York is coming out and saying he wants to legalize. Governor of New Jersey, even, even the ones that haven't gone all the way yet, um, yeah. it's pretty clear where things are going, but it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't, you know, totally um, resulted in a re-rating of stocks, which I think – will come hand-in-hand with more states going live and some uh, federal uh, developments. So one of the criticisms that we often hear about the Canadian cannabis space is the lack of ability to brand uh, and market. Now, you guys have a phenomenal brand uh, in this space. How important has it been to your success? Oh, it's it's been a huge part of our success, right? So, so, you know, the, the... the customer we are catering to wants education. They want to come in and see what is out there. They're often you know, professionals or perhaps they're you know, in their 50s or 60s, haven't smoked in cannabis in 20 or 30 years. You know, they want to go out and they want to see what's out there in a nice, you know, inviting atmosphere with presentable staff. So I think the, uh, the, the marketing dollars that we have spent, the branding initiatives that we've done in the last couple of years, um, have have done us a great service in making us you know, the number one recognized brand, the number one um, you know, trusted brand in and, and uh, brand in terms of brand awareness uh, in the United States, uh, and that's more than just one state. Obviously, we currently operate in a number of states, and including acquisitions, it'll be uh, twelve. So, you know, I believe we're the only real um, you know brand that has any brand equity in cannabis on a national level. Mm. 
So let's talk. Let's let's kind of filter down to California because oftentimes here in Canada we 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 hear about you know a comparison of Canada to the entire state of California, similar size from a population perspective, and perhaps you know kind of the model state uh, for the business model. So. Um, it's obviously one of the largest cannabis markets from a, a global perspective. Uh, but what what do you think the rest of us, like what like Canada and some of the other countries, can actually learn uh, about regulating the cannabis sector from California? Well, I, I think to your point, California is the largest cannabis market and it's the most sophisticated one, right? So um, if, if if you look at how the the environment functions there, you can be vertically integrated if you like, but you don't necessarily have to be. You can focus on specific parts of the value chain, specific parts of the industry, or like us, you can do the whole thing from cultivation to processing, manufacturing, all the way to retail. Um, now, California is having some challenges in terms of you know, cra- uh, cracking down on the illicit market. Um, there are still several counties in California that don't allow access to legal cannabis, um, but in terms of our positioning there, I mean, we are about 7% market share, which in a very fragmented market makes us by far the number one player. Um, and, and I think what we've done in California is all the the, uh, the branding efforts, the marketing expenditures that we've done that have really made us the number one brand in California, we're already seeing that expand to other states. So, for example, when we released the March quarter, uh, we announced that you know, of all our stores, our second most performing store isn't one in California. It's our store that we just opened three months prior in Nevada. So we're already seeing, um, you know, the, the strength of our brand for, you know, go outside, be exported outside of California into Nevada. And I think if you look at other successful retailers in their own industries, whether it's Costco or Whole Foods or Nordstrom, what you often find is. The, you know, the number, the largest, the state with the largest number of stores that they have is always California. And it's usually disproportionate. So it's, and even, even if you adjust for population, they're disproportionately centered around California. I think California is very influential across the United States in that if you can win over the California consumer, you are in a position to run the table in, in, in all these other states like some of these leading retailers have and how we've already proven it out in Nevada. And we're looking forward to Illinois, where the state has just gone adult use, to be able to replicate the strength of our brand there. I mean, I think it's going to be much easier for a successful adult use cannabis company to go from California to the rest of the country as opposed to, you know, another company which may have a couple of, you know, medical clinics in the Northeast or Midwest trying to export that brand into California. That's probably much more of an uphill battle. Right. So let's maybe have a couple of examples of, like, the undervalued nature uh, of U.S. cannabis stocks from from an investment perspective. I mean, one that I saw a couple of months ago was – um, I think in the previous quarter, Planet 13 had more revenue than Kronos yet has 120th the market cap. Do you have any other good illustrations of how undervalued the U.S. cannabis market is relative to Canada? Maybe well, I, I think that, we, that, that's an example. Well, yeah. Well, I, I think if you were to add up all the, the market cap for Canada in terms of the public companies and compare it to the addressable market, it's about you know one times. 
Right. Whereas in the United States, you have you have an industry that's going to be, you know, according to Cowan's projections, eighty billion dollar industry by you know twenty thirty. Right, and some you know, there's, there's going to be a big three or a big four that are going to represent the majority of that eighty billion dollars. Uh, whereas if you look at the market cap of the, of the U.S. cannabis companies, I mean, it's you know, it pales in comparison to uh, to the Canadian ones. Right, so I think you know so we're in a similar situation where because you don't have you know the bulge bracket company uh, companies covering the U.S. just yet, you don't have the larger investors to tell they're all taking meetings with Medland, they're they're getting smart on the space, but you know, for legal compliance, et cetera, reasons, they're not necessarily writing the large checks. I mean, the, I think there's a few areas of rewriting. The first is simply, you know, Canada versus U.S. And I think that when the day comes where you have, all, you know, Safe Act or States Act or the ability for companies like MedMen to start listing on major U.S. exchanges, that should be a day of rewriting. And then within the United States, cannabis companies themselves, if you look at MedMen, we have effectively the highest revenue uh, among all of them, yet we don't have the highest market cap by any means, right? Yeah. So I think even though we have the best locations, the best brand, there's effectively the most revenue, um, you know, I think there's a, another area of re-rating within the U.S. cannabis companies for, you know, MedMen versus the others. So how big of a challenge has it been? For U.S. companies that have had to list on Canadian exchanges versus versus the inability to list on U.S. Well, so MedMen started off, uh, as you probably know, as the oh, I guess the latest incarnation before we went we went public was we had special purpose vehicles um, to you know, where investors would come in, pool cap, pool money together, invest in specific assets, um, and then the desire there was, well, let's get some diversification. Um, so they launched MedMen Opportunity Fund Number One. They raised about $75 million, um, spent, deployed in assets, raised number fund number two, deployed in assets, and the opportunity came to go public in Canada. Um, so you know, you know, we, the CSC, which is where we've been listed now for over a year, has been a great partner. Um, we really helped break down the wall of you know billion-dollar-plus U.S. cannabis company to go out and be able to raise you know $140 million. Uh, on an RTO and, and list in Canada and actually be a you know functioning stock, um, you know I, I, that that was all sort of part of the trailblazing that we have done and now you know the industry has a big six or seven that all trade in Canada. So um, you know I, I think you know the reality is there may be some limitations to the number of eyeballs and uh, you get when you're on the CSE um, as opposed to say the Nasdaq or the NYSE. But um, you know, we've been really happy where we are and uh, the partner that we have today. So if you have an account, if you're a U.S. resident, you have an account with Schwab, let's say. Can you buy MedMen stock off the CSE? Well, uh, that would depend on the, the particulars of, of each broker um, yeah. and, and what access they have. But, I, but we also have a U.S. ticker, MMNFF. Um, so that's, that's, I would imagine that would be easier for U.S. retail um, to, to participate in the upside that we're building here. And then we also have a, a ticker uh, in Europe, uh, in Frankfurt. Um, so, you know, we, the objective is to have, you know, global shareholders just as the objective is to have global customers and a global brand. So is it fair to say that the only way that um, companies are going to be able to purely list on NYSE or NASDAQ uh, will be when uh, the U.S. federally legalizes? 
Or what, is there other? It's not. Other it's not entirely clear what the litmus test will be. If it will be the Safe Act or the States Act or ultimate federal legalization, which is different than those two. Um, you know, I think as, as we go through these milestones, we'll have to see if that's litmus test for any one given exchange, or um, just like it, we'll have to see if it's a if it'll be a litmus test for any one given you know analyst or compliance group or on the buy side, um, those that are writing the checks, right? So it's, it'll, it'll be hard to pinpoint exactly what development was going to open up and unlock, um, you know, what what lever of, of value. Um, but needless to say, you know, it's, it's pretty supportive in terms of the macro environment, um, you know, as part, as part of the legalization process going forward. Got it. So before we close off, um, what are you forecasting to be some of the biggest investment opportunities in the cannabis space over the next few years? I still think it's, uh, it's, it's retail right now. Um, I mean, there's so many more states going online, uh, and I think having that first mover advantage, um, like we've proven out in California and Illinois, those that have retail locations that are fixed uh, as these states go from medical use to adult use, or as new adult use states go on or new counties allow it, I think having that retail, that zoning restriction, the defensibility on your business is is going to be massive. Uh, it's going to continue to, to to be a real large part. And, and then you, you're probably going to look at um, other value-added uh, parts of the value chain, such as technology, right? So as edibles and and especially beverages start coming online, having the technology, for example, for beverages to deliver a faster onset uh, time that had to deliver proper taste without, you know, overloading it with sugar. I mean, there's lots of areas in technology that that will definitely, definitely help different cannabis, um, you know, aspects uh, of the industry going forward, which, which is one of the reasons we, we spend so much in technology. Vaughn, bon, thank you very much for your time today. Much appreciated. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Evolve ETFs podcast. If you like this podcast, please like this post. Subscribe to this channel by clicking on the subscribe button. Ensure to sign up for our newsletter by visiting our website, EvolveETFs.com. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at EvolveETFs.com.